Hello and welcome to Moving Seniors Safely Week. I'm Colette Robichaud and today I'm chatting with Carl Honoré. Carl is an award-winning writer, broadcaster and two-time TED Talk speaker. Published in 35 languages, his books on the slow movement and more recently ageism have landed on the bestseller lists around the world. So welcome slow advocate, slow movement advocate, author and ageism disruptor, Carl Honoré. Very glad to be speaking with you today and uh, really want to hear about how you got in touch with your inner tortoise. I watched for probably a third or fourth time your TED Talk in Praise of Slow, where you have over 3 million views. And it's just really interesting to be reminded that you know, we're still in that rat race. As much as over the last few years, things have changed a bit, we're still on fast forward and speed. I think we're a little more aware of what that looks like, but I'd, I'd like to talk to you today and ask you a little bit about that, you know, how we're still looking at being busyaholics or that, you know, that taboo of slow. And I'm asking you in particular in regards to you know, how uh, seniors are look, looked upon as well. And that's where, you know, your, your, your most recent book, Boulder, talks about ageism and how we think of maybe slowing down as something that is not so great. And not everyone does slow down. So just open it up there and, and let you lead with some of your thoughts about those topics. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on the, uh, on the show. Uh, well, there were a lot of questions in there. I'm trying. I'll pull one out. Pick <laughs> yeah. um, one, anyone. <laughs> let's take about talk about sort of how I feel about slow these days. Uh, before the pandemic, it seemed to me that we were inching towards an, a, a new awareness about pace. Right. I think that the mm -hmm. slow movement. I, my TED talk is already now 15, whatever more years old, mm -hmm. and yet now it feels as relevant, if not more, than it did when I first did it. But when I first did it, I felt like a voice in the wilderness. I definitely don't feel like that now. And before, even before the pandemic, the slow movement had grown. Irony of ironies had grown very fast, right? So it was in every walk of life, people were embracing the idea. Not that you do everything very slowly. That's not what slow is about. It's about doing things at the right speed. So sometimes you're fast, but sometimes you're slow. You're doing what musicians call the tempo giusto, right? The correct tempo oh, for each moment. Yeah. And, and I think that idea is very simple, but it's immensely powerful and counter-cultural, right? Because it goes against the roadrunner world that we live in. Mm -hmm. So before the pandemic, you already had, in any field of human endeavor you can think of, there were slow movements. So you had slow food, slow sex, slow education, slow travel, slow fashion, slow architecture, slow leadership, you name it. And then along came the pandemic, right? <laughs> Which forced upon us this global workshop and slowness. And I, I, you know, a lot of people wrote to me at the beginning of the pandemic and said, you must be so happy, right? Everybody, and I'm, I at no point was I happy about the pandemic, total nightmare. But I do think it's been a silver lining for many people because it's been a time when we were forced to get off the hamster wheel, when we were forced to find our inner tortoise. You know, we just, there was no FOMO because there was nothing to miss out on. And I think a lot of people found it a, a bit of a revelation to have time to be able to listen, uh, spend time with the people they love rather than being distracted all the time without rushing from one thing to the next. And it felt during that, especially those lockdowns that we were in the middle of a kind of global reset where people were thinking, you know what? I finally had some time to stop, reflect and think about the life I was living. And I'm realizing now the life I was living before the pandemic wasn't the right life for me, which is why you see people coming out of the pandemic now 
making big changes, big tectonic shifts in their life, whether it's leaving a bad relationship or changing jobs or moving country or moving the country to the city or whatever, right? As you said in your introduction, though, I think now as the pandemic is sort of passing, we're getting back, the speed is coming back again. Uh, so we're back in the same tussle between slow and fast. But I do think that slow, the legions of slow have swollen through the pandemic. And I think there's much more of an understanding that faster is not always better and that this constant turbocharged, endless multitasking lifestyle that so many people get caught up in is ultimately toxic, right? So I think that, I think we're the needle has moved thanks to the pandemic more in favor of slow. We're not all the way there yet, but no. it's, it's moved. But it it was it became a reinforcement of what, as you said, what was growing. And if you talk to people, if you slowed them down enough to talk to them about slowing down, they got it logically. But I know I've been coaching people for over 20 years. There's a difference between cognitively getting it and mm -hmm. the action taking to move that forward. So this was kind of that breaker to see what actually happens and the amount of people that said, you know, not doing the commute, I got to sleep or I have the time to, you know, plan my move. I'm not going to be the last minute to do that. Or maybe I should move out of the city and how many people moved uh, to more rural or just smaller cities like my own thinking they were going to have a slower pace. They recognized that there was a, a different way to go. Yeah, I think that's that's what's happened and that will carry on happening because we we are collectively bumping up against the limits of what human beings and the planet can take in terms of speed, right? There is not much more further we can go on this track of accelerating every corner of our lives. And, you know, we're in one of those inflection points in so many ways in human history. And I think a big part of it will be a deep seismic rethink about time and how we move through it, how we use it, how we value it, what we do with it. And, and a big part of that is gonna be slowing down. <laughs> it, it just seems obvious now. What I think of as slowing down too is, I talk a lot about, you know, a lot of times I'm asked to speak on time management, but a lot of that is also energy management. And when we slow down, we're more able to make those decisions about what is really important to us. Typically, everyone will say, well, friends and family, but in the meantime, people were going weeks and months and years of never seeing family. I think throughout this, in some aspects, people had a you know, better relationship because people got on Zoom and chatted like we are right now that never did it before. It, it opened up for some older adults, a new way of communicating and keeping in touch, which is a real plus that we're coming, coming out the other end with. Yeah, I mean, I always think that uh, speedaholism, right? The whole fast culture dehumanizes us mm -hmm. and the slowing down rehumanizes us. And I think that was one of the great lessons of the pandemic. When you look back and think what people were yearning for, what they realized they missed more than anything else, it was human contact. Mm. And that's what people have gravitated most instantly towards you know as as we're coming out of the pandemic that's what people have gone to get back into right is mm -hmm. and even during the pandemic as you say we we came up with new ways of communicating because we needed that human bonding we needed to be listened to we needed to be heard we needed to be around other human beings that's just mm -hmm. the nature of what we are and, yeah. and people, think it, people think it's a nicety but we actually 
live longer and are healthier by having those relationships. And that's another thing that we just think, oh, isn't that nice, you know, to connect with people and do things. But we just know, I mean, the data shows us how much better off we are, that we'll heal better, that we'll live longer, all of those sort of things. So, you know, again, learning that, recognizing that, but taking the action steps to do that. So if you are, you know, kind of giving people the first steps in what works well to even approach a slower lifestyle, what, what do you suggest? I would suggest a few things. The first is, is to do less, right? Just cut your mm. schedule down. Look at what you've crammed in for the next week. Yeah. Rate it in order of most important to least important and cut from the bottom, right? Cut two, three things. Try and cut one thing a day and just open up some more oxygen and space in your, your schedule to be able to devote that to the things that really matter, right? Because we often find ourselves doing stuff that's urgent and sacrificing things that are important. So less is more, right? So cut, cut your cut your activities is number one. The people that I talk to, uh, you know, as a coach, they want to do more. I want to get this done. I want to get that done. And I've got this big to-do list. And it's like, mm, show me your don't-do list, you know? This is what I want to see right now. Because we're not we're not going to be able to re give you that certain amount of time, what you're going to get in without taking some of that stuff off and stuff stays on that to-do list long afterwards. Other people are forcing stuff on that list. You take charge of it, but a don't do list is a good place for me to start. And that really, you know, fits with the slowing down. What is important? Yeah. What can I get rid of to make what's important, important? That's, that's one of the things I often recommend. In fact, I call it a, a not to do list, right? Yeah, exactly. It, and it's very helpful as well psychologically in the, in the longer term, because when you take things off your to-do list, often when you're starting down that path, the first instinct is panic. You think, oh, no, I can't, I'm going to miss out on something, right? I'm going to. But actually, when you put it on your not to-do list and then come back to the not to-do list six weeks, two months later, you realize that the thing that you took off at the time that seemed unmissable, the world was going to fall apart because you were not going to do this thing. You couldn't even remember it six yeah. weeks later because it wasn't yeah. that important. Most of the yeah. things that we squeeze into our schedules are not important. They just, mm. they occupied space. They feel important for the wrong reasons. And, and I think that yeah. having a not to do list is a really good way to give yourself that big picture perspective that allows you to feel less panic in the moment when you say no. For you know, because sure. I mean, Sorry, just there's a great quote from Warren Buffett that I always remember in this context. It, he said that the difference between successful people and very successful people is that very successful people say no to almost everything, right? Uh, yeah. And I think that gets to, um, we talk about in praise of slow, flip side of that is in praise of no. That might be my book, in praise of no. I do a lot of practice <laughs> with my clients and, you know, what are you saying yes to that you really don't want to do? There's a lot of, whether it's people pleasing in general, whether it's at work taking on too much without kind of saying, if I do this, you know, what do you want me to drop off my list? Or even with family, you know, the, the, some people are overrun with, with, with lots of family obligations that they don't want to do that they feel compelled to do. But ultimately, we've got to put some brackets around our own time and make it our own and, you know, let go of some of that stuff and then see, you know, slow down enough to figure out what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, other other ideas for slowing down? Well, I think we haven't touched on technology, but that's a big part of the equation here. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Luddite. I have all the gadgets. They're great, but they all have a red button that means off, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to use the off button, right? So ring fence times in every day when you are off the grid, when you don't have a screen plugged into you, right? So you can get away from the speed of software and slow down to the speed of 
of human beings again. So whether that's saying, I don't know, you know, two hours in the evening or one, whatever it is, everybody's going to be different, but make sure you've got some time unplugged every day. That's absolutely crucial. Yeah, I think we're learning more every day how these things were designed to suck us into going here or there and that they're they're not meant for us, that we are being dragged into it to use our information and where we go. And they're experts in making us go to places we don't want to go. Yeah. I want to be intentional with my life. I want to be intentional about what I read, what I purchase. So I think we are getting a little bit more aware of how that works, but a lot of knowledge has to come in with that. And you know, uh, it, 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 they are experts. There's lots of research with that. So it's not that it's, uh, you know, it's us being weak or strong doing that. I think the more you get into uh, being intentional about it, the easier it gets. I know for me, people say about how negative this is or that. And it's like, well, I just don't follow certain people. My, my lists are encouraging. I follow people that want to do good things in the world. So <laughs> we definitely have a choice. I, I feel like I don't, I don't see the same social media that other people do because mine is set up to, to do just that. So we, we do have agency over what that looks like as well. Yeah, absolutely. Agency is such an important word here because people often feel, oh, I'd love to slow down. I know I'd be a better version of myself and I'd be a better me for everyone around me, but I can't do it, right? It's just, I've, it's out, but you can do it. There are always levers to pull. There is always room to maneuver. There's always space to, to push yourself into. So agency, intentional, all those things, they're at everybody's fingertips one way or the other. Yeah, I describe um, myself as a recovering busyaholic. I just thought it was always like, ram it all in, do it. Like my girlfriend reminds me, you always said, bite off more than you could chew and chew it. And, you know, <laughs> you can maybe play that game for quite a few years and I'm still going pretty strong. I say I'm down to an A personality instead of A plus sort of personality, but it doesn't work for you. There's a, there's a point where it may get you to certain places of having a good work ethic or doing a a bunch of things, but there's a place where it, it goes the opposite of what you would like it to do. Definitely. definitely. Um, a couple other suggestions for slowing down. One is to incorporate a, some kind of slow ritual in your daily routine. So that could be anything from knitting to reading poetry, to sketching, to doing yoga, or just something that inoculates you against the virus of hurry and just build it into your schedule so that it's there almost like a vaccine, a daily vaccine against the virus. Only way of putting it. Yeah. And, and then a, and a final one that I always throw in is, is get into nature, right? We know that being in mother nature, green space is, is relaxing. We know that it enhances feelings of calm and reduces stress. It's kind of like a serene bath, right? Forest bathing, they call it, or green therapy. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, Ideally, you'd get out into a forest, but we don't all have forests on our doorsteps. Just go into a park or your garden, be by a tree, and just you don't have to be there for hours on end. Just a few minutes can make a big difference. So try to build in some some good old Mother Nature into your schedule as well. She's Mother Nature is a master or a mistress of slow. <laughs> and isn't that getting back to the basics? I even looked into that research a little for, further than the forest bathing and took it down a little bit. Even a host plant in your house to look at it. They said even a fake plant has some calling to it. So it yeah. is amazing how that kind of can trickle down to, to just the rewards that go with that, that I think people get overwhelmed. Well, I, you know, I'm not out doing that 10 K hike or whatever, but it's just little incremental things. The same way as we incrementally want to slow down and maybe lean into it a little bit, just all those little things that will just 
cumulatively, consistently add up to giving us just, a, I think the lifestyle that most of us want, but we think a lot of times it's just an on and off switch, like I'm either all in or all out. My experience has been small, baby, tiny, tiny habits yep. will be the rewards, but it, it's how do you make it that it's consistent? That has been what I've seen over the years. And, and when I'm coaching people and we talk about a homework assignment for the next week, they'll say something. I'm like, cut that in half and cut it in half again. That's all you need to do. And they're like, no, I can do more. It's like, well, let's feel successful. You just do that little bit, do it every day and let's see where we go from there. So I think, again, we have so many boot camps to get it all done and, you know, lose the 10 pounds in 10 days and, you know, get slower in like whatever, you know. <laughs> It, we, we have to really adjust that way of thinking that, that it comes in increments. Yeah. I mean, this is the irony of today is that we're so rushed that we want to slow down fast, right? People want a, a quick yeah. fix for slow, but it doesn't, doesn't work that way. I, I completely echo what you say. I, any true journey to slow is always a thousand small steps, right? It just that's, sure. the way, that's the way it is. For sure. So I'm going to segue a little bit to your uh, other positioning of ageism disruptor. And, you know, that's an, another side of maybe looking at what that uh, stereotype of, of people aging are just slowing down and all those ways that we look at, at people in that, that whole sector after, you know, maybe 50 plus look like individual snowflakes is how I kind of describe it. So, you know, there's a lot of that out there in the world as well. Um, for me, one of the things in, you know, and talking to seniors and, and the adult children working with seniors, this assumption that immediately when parents get in a certain age, they maybe uh, think that they have to downsize, they have to move, but there are loads of people that can actively stay in their home and get resources and live quite well aging in place and have their social circles. A lot of times I find adult children will think that let's rip them out of their home and take them somewhere where they don't have those connections or you know there's nothing wrong with doing some of those tasks around their home that they're they can do and have other people help them but but yeah the, the whole ageism thing it's still there you would think when we see what's happening today and where everyone is but we're still faced with it I, it it's a, you know it, it's similar to the the slow movement like you know what what is going on that people are still believing that that you hit a certain age and all of a sudden life is is just always going to go in the wrong direction. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does seem like a paradox, doesn't it? That at a time when we are aging, living better for longer than ever before, mm. in some ways, I don't think we've ever felt worse about aging. I mean, the yeah. cult of youth. The cult of youth is is at peak, it feels like, you know, mm -hmm. everywhere you turn, we're bombarded with the same message, which is that aging is a curse or a disease or a form of surrender <laughs> um, and that it's all downhill from I don't know 35 or 40 and yeah when our brain when stops the, or whatever yeah, <laughs> yeah when, when the facts tell you completely the opposite which yeah. is that you know obviously some things as you go older particularly physical things you know you're never going to have the same body at 65 as you did at 25 but many things stay the same and a lot of things actually get better. You know, there's a whole different story to tell ourselves about aging, uh, which is all the kind of work I'm doing in, in, in tackling ageism. But it, it does, you often feel like you're running up against the, the ageist industrial complex, this, this massive immovable object where these 
poisonous myths and stereotypes you have about aging are all around us in the culture. But the worst part is that they're inside us ourselves. I mean, actually, you'll find often that the worst ageism is within older people themselves. Right? We're, we're carrying around these ageist stereotypes. And then the cruel truth is that the holding ageist stereotypes makes the, those stereotypes more likely to come true in your life, right? So if, you know, denigrating aging, buying into the cult of youth, feeling bad about growing older makes you more likely to suffer from physical and cognitive decline, to, to get dementia, to even to die younger, right? Up to seven and yeah. a half years younger, right? So ageism, buying into ageism is the ultimate act of self-harm. And yet, as you say, many of us still find ourselves doing it. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done on this front, but I, I do feel like again here that the, the needle is moving and that the yeah. conversation has shifted pretty pretty widely in the last five years, four or five years, I would say. I mean, I agree. I think a lot of it, the brain research that we have that's coming out as hard data, you know, and people are looking at it. I think it's making a really big difference. Uh, I mean, I have lots of friends that are fitter now because maybe they have time, they've retired, they're fitter now and healthier now than they've ever been because they have the time, they're taking the time to think about it a little bit more, but it still exists. It, as you say, it does nothing for us to be thinking about others that way, but more importantly, to be thinking of ourselves in that way, to be saying, oh, I can't do that, or, you know, or I shouldn't be doing that. You know, there's a bit of, of, of um, you know, looking at ourselves in a different way. I think some of social media uh, looks at that, but it's still kind of novelty that you would be doing certain things at certain ages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just think of all the doors left unopened and all the roads left untraveled because we listened to that little voice whispering in the back of our our minds, um, you know, I'm too old for this, right? I'm, yeah. this, is, this is not age appropriate. I mean, can you think yeah. of a more gruesome term than age appropriate? What does, what can Absolutely. or should that even mean, right? Um, sure. I mean, that's one That's one for the, 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 the scrap pile, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I, I think that you mentioned social media. I do think that there's a lot of um, ageism on social media, but I do think that social media is turning out to be a pretty firm ally of the, the battle to redefine aging for the 21st century. Because if you go on to say Instagram or wherever these days, every day you'll see millions of people uploading photos and videos of their version of being 40 something, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 something, right? Yeah. And guess what? Those versions are very different from the downbeat chamber of horror vision of growing older that has been the, the norm for so long. And, and it's something there's something very stirring about that because role models matter, right? The, the more people we see toppling age of stereotypes and, and thumbing their nose at them on social media, oh. the easier it becomes for the rest of us to do the same. So just picking up what you were saying earlier about in your social media usage, you, you, you curate the yes. people you follow, right? So you choose people who light you up, you know, who put wind beneath your wings, right? And you avoid yeah. the people who pull you down. So that's something all of us can do if we're grappling with the dark shadow of ageism in our own lives is to look out for people on social media who maybe are the same age as us and are, are doing all kinds of stuff that we thought was maybe beyond the pale, right? Was was age inappropriate for us. And, and, and it just brings down some of that resistance and inertia that we can all be carrying around, you know, just because we're so marinated in ageism together, it's hard to get your head above the water, but we can do it, right? And I think social media, using it wisely is one lever we can all pull. I agree. And you sort of rise, you know, that's it. It brings us up a little bit more well. 
and the storytelling and all of the things of seeing people who have done all kinds of amazing things, that's, that's great for us instead of just saying, oh, well, that's it. I'm going to flip Netflix on and game over for me. We're seeing wonderful mm -hmm. things that people are, are doing out there and, and making great contributions in, in so many different ways. So Carl, tell me, what do you have planned for the future? What books are we going to see in the future? Are you working on one right now? Uh, I got kind of, I just finished my first ever children's book, which has yes. been quite an exciting, um, which, which will be coming out on September 1st. And That's it's it. called, It's the Journey. And it's about um, slow travel. So it was, it was my, it's one of my pandemic babies, right? I've never written a children's book before, but it was a real joy, you know, writing in a different register for a different audience. Yeah. And quite sweet, just the other day, as I was talking to my editor, we were finishing it all up. I suddenly thought to myself, my children are now grown up, so I won't be reading the book to them. But one day, maybe I'll be reading it to my own grandchildren. And I thought, wow, what a, what a lovely thing to look forward to. I just got um, goosebumps when you said that. That's just, that's really so I, nice. I, yeah, I had, I, had, I had goosebumps everywhere when I thought it. it just came out of nowhere. So um, yeah, so that's sort of there. And then I've got a book idea that I'm sort of kicking around about rituals and how important they are. I'm not sure where that's going to go, if anywhere, but that's sort of the other thing on my- Very interested about that, where I work a lot trying to get people to take action, to take steps and sort of create habits and rituals and things. I find that plays right into the consistency, the people that I'm seeing of being mm -hmm. successful when they want to have a change, you know, the big change of where you want to go, but it all comes from little steps and that can be routines, rituals, habit building. And that's been something that I've just been thinking about a lot as well. So I, I look forward to hearing more about that. Well, maybe I'll come to you in a different channel and ask you some questions. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, I just want to thank you for joining me today. It was a real pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll be having a conversation again in the future. I hope so too. Thank you very much. It's been great chatting with you.